I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We're investors at VMG Partners, and we help build iconic consumer brands. Every day, some of the world's most fascinating founders share their stories with us before they've made it. Their highs and lows. Mistakes and triumphs. But always extraordinary results. And now we're sharing these stories with you. This is Unfinished Biz. It's not always all your best friends and your family eating a perfectly like huge meal and it's enjoyable and it's wine and song and all this other stuff. So, you know, sometimes there are just those meals that are terrible and like, let's get rid of those. On this episode of Unfinished Biz, we chat with Soylent co-founder and former CTO, John Coogan. Soylent is a beverage that replaces a meal with 20 grams of plant-based protein, making up what Soylent claims be 20% of your daily vitamins and minerals. And it's become a household brand, especially in Silicon Valley, where long hours and the need for quick sustenance is the norm. But scaling Soylent from a clever name to an actual beverage was a rocky road. We'd launched this crowdfunding campaign. It was very big. And then, you know, we'd, we'd kind of delayed the shipping uh, a couple months. We originally told people that they'd get it in three months. It took us a year to produce. It, it was dropping off and we were generating less and less revenue every month. So I was looking at the graph and it was down. There's no regression that you can run that makes that look like it's up and to the right, which is what you want as a startup graph. Find out how John broke into the San Francisco tech world, why hiring executives changes a scrappy company culture for the better, and how crowdfunding made Soylent a reality. Unfinished Biz starts now. Robin, this is a really fascinating story of an entrepreneur who wasn't seeking to solve a specific unmet need. Rather, he was trying to pursue a dream of starting a tech company, but he didn't know what it would be. So he ended up moving to Silicon Valley, the center of innovation, where he figured he'd just find it there. But to an extreme, where he ended up locking himself up in an apartment with his roommates to keep trying until they found, what, what's, that, what's that big tech idea going to be? I mean, these are tech guys who created a CPG product. And honestly, it was born out of a desire to actually stop eating ramen and have just a healthier option. And that really was the creation of Soylent. John joined us in our L.A. offices to tell us more about his story. My first um, kind of tour into trying to make something out of nothing was actually in, I want to say, middle school. I was into music and uh, particularly DJing. Okay. Um, and I figured out that... Um, that there was a big price arbitrage opportunity in selling American-made uh, DJ equipment internationally on eBay. So I would. How buy did you it. find that out? Uh, I mean, I was I wasn't very good at DJing, uh-huh. <laughs> but I was extremely into the technology uh-huh. and extremely into this is a theme, but uh, extremely into the gear. So I had um, I've done all the research, figured out what products were popular and what products were. Um, you know, kind of gaining acceptance within the DJ community. Mm-hmm. And so um, I would I would buy them and then um, I just would search on eBay and I would see that people would comment on certain postings like, hey, will you ship to Australia? I'll pay you $300 extra. Huh. I'm like, they're paying $300 for, you know, something that only costs $500. So they're going to pay $800 in total. Right. And I can ship that for $50 right. if I just use the right thing. So I started doing that um, in, in middle school and... Um, and uh, and and 
I, I think a little bit of that came from uh, from my dad because uh, he worked in the dot com bubble or dot com boom uh, mm-hmm. at a startup, and I kind of saw he was originally um, in the film industry, and um, you know it's not like he made a ton of money in the dot com boom, but he was able to transition into a technology role, and then eventually work at Disney and some really really big companies in technology. So. What what startups for him allowed him to do was really learn an entirely new skill. Mm-hmm. And I think that was something that resonated for me after college. So I went to college at Northeastern in Boston. Mm-hmm. I studied economics and kind of thought that I would go into finance um, and, uh, you know, just kind of get like a, a, a good steady job, be able to, you know, like pay the rent, that, mm-hmm. that type of thing. But then um, once I got kind of closer to realizing what that would entail post-graduation, uh, um, I had a great uh, kind of career advisor that recommended that I look into something a little bit smaller scale. I'd worked at um, a small venture-backed company that was about 50 people. Um, and, uh, like an internship some, at the time? Yeah, or? it was an internship at a company called Vlingo, which was a Siri competitor. Okay. Um, and they were kind of uh, venture-backed. Uh, I think they were Series B at the time, raised maybe you know, $20 million, something like that, 50 people, mm-hmm. um, all tech and, uh, kind of saw that environment and saw that it was a little bit faster paced than some of the other jobs that I'd worked. So I really, um, I really thought that there was an opportunity to kind of really take a self-directed course of study post graduation with an entrepreneurial journey. Mm-hmm. And for me, that really meant, um, focusing on learning how to program. So I'd taken some computer science classes in college, but the curriculum was, you know, a little bit antiquated in the sense that uh, instead of, you know, kind of the modern programming languages like Python being taught, they were teaching Visual Basic and, yeah, C and Java. So it it wasn't as practical as as I like to be, and entrepreneurship really afforded me that. So upon graduation, I grabbed uh, one of my friends from high school who had uh, had gone to Harvard and studied biology and was thinking about going to medical school, was doing kind of a post-baccalaureate. And I said, hey, you know, um, we should move out to Silicon Valley. I've been reading uh, this guy, Paul Graham's blog. And <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I think one of my friends gave me a copy of the four-hour work week. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, you know, this sounds like a really interesting opportunity to just be able to explore any intellectual discipline for mm-hmm. as long as you need to basically do that until you can make money from that. Mm-hmm. So instead of one of the people that I emailed um, kind of when I was leading up to this kind of taking that leap was uh, a guy named Ezra Callahan, who was the first employee at Facebook. And we had, we'd actually gone to high school together. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know him at the time cause he was a bit older, but uh I emailed him and kind of asked him, like, hey, you know, I, I have this economics degree. I went to Northeastern. You know, it's an okay school, but it's not Harvard. Like, I can't just go and jump into, like, an amazing career at Google or something really, really awesome because that's kind of, like, what I thought would be, like, you know, amazing. In right. <laughs> Which is, you know, wrong on so many levels but um, and, and would have been a very bad fit. Um, but, yeah, so he basically kind of broke this down for me that – you know, Facebook now is very different than the Facebook of, you know, the one that you read about and that these companies are very large and bureaucratic at this point. And if you're the type of person that wants to, you know, really move fast and learn a lot of different things and wear lots of different hats, that entrepreneurship might actually be the right path for you. And, and you might not be able to, there might be no large entrepreneurial company that can satisfy that. So, uh, so anyway, I grabbed David, my, 
uh, eventual co-founder of Soylent, as well as uh, co-founder of this first company, and we moved out to Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And he was your buddy that was at Harvard. Yeah, or yeah. went to Harvard. So we right. went to. So we actually went to preschool together. Oh, okay. nice! And and then we went to middle school and high school together, and then we both went to college in Boston and were internship uh, were interning at startups both in kind of Cambridge area at the same time, Got it. kind of sharing notes on like how to use Excel as interns uh-huh. and kind of, uh, you know, just, just contribute something at these amorphous jobs at yep. these startups. And then, um, uh, so, and then he's been my business partner for the past, uh, like seven years, basically. So what was his take when you were like, Hey, we should do this. We should move out, you know, and uh, out West coast and, and, uh, you yeah. Know? So that's, that's a really, really funny point because I, uh, so I, I gave him this pitch, and the pitch was was terrible and embarrassing <laughs> in, in hindsight, and it didn't work. Um, okay, but uh, essentially it was it was something based on like behavioral economics, which is what I was studying. It was going to be some sort of like tool to incentivize students to like track their homework uh-huh. and stuff, and uh, it really just made no sense. But he, I, I told him, and he was like, "That's the best idea I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> I like we're going to be rich, you know, just immediately, like so enthusiastic." and I, I'm really thankful because like it put us on this track, right. even though that idea was awful. So um, we, so we, um, so we started talking about this, having kind of like weekly calls and kind of doing like the very basic things like setting up a website. But um, I think what, what, you know, I'd really learned online was like the importance of getting to a prototype stage as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of people that I'd interacted with in the entrepreneurship community in Boston that had ideas and then would go and look to find investors first right. or find employees first or mm-hmm. kind of putting the cart before the horse instead right. of like proving the value. Um, so I started, um, you know, I'd, I'd done some coding. My dad was a programmer, as I mentioned. So I'd done some programming as a kid. And then uh, in the upper levels of economics classes, there's some application of, of programming, but I'd never really kind of built a full application from start to finish. So I started doing that. And did uh, you, did you take classes for that or was it more self-taught or definitely self-taught? I found some really, really good books online. Mm -hmm. Actually some, uh, I've actually gotten to like meet a lot of those authors now Uh and kind of like buy them a beer and say thanks. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I built this like very, very hacky, um, very like barely functional web application, um, to kind of like do this. And then I told David, you know, like, Hey, you're like the business guy on this one. So uh-huh. like, you need to get people to use this. So he went <laughs> and like kind of browbeat a few people into like uh-huh. using this terrible piece of software, uh, <laughs> that really provided no value. But, um, but it was like enough to prove that we could both actually build something functional and, right. and force people to use it, which right. is kind of that beginning cycle. So so what, why was he, why was he sort of the business guy? He was, he was the pre-med guy, right? Or yeah. was <laughs> so no, the, the, the reason he, he was, I mean, first it's just that, you know, we had this shared history. So uh-huh. I think that's super important in, you know, any co-founder relationship is just to have a, you know, a, a longstanding understanding of how each other function. Uh, and that's been, that's served us like super, super well for, for so you remember you know, how, now? how you guys interacted in preschool and in ex- yeah. Extrapolated that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was, it wasn't just preschool, no, just but, um, I think, you know, in middle school we, we do like our math homework together. Right. And then in high school, um, I was like a football player. He was a soccer player. So we were actually kind of like rivals in a way, mm-hmm. but we, but we still, you know, like ran in the same social circles. And, um, and I think most importantly, we kind of had like a shared respect. Um, and then, 
Um, so I, so were you guys out, had you moved to Silicon Valley at this point or were you guys still in Boston? So we were still, we were still in Boston. Um, actually I was in Boston. He was in LA doing a post back at USC. Okay. okay. Uh, cause and Northeastern's a five year program and okay. he graduated from Harvard in four. So he was doing an extra year and that's kind of another reason why he was like available. And a lot of our other friends who had done four year programs and gone straight into jobs right. were like, Hey, like this banking thing or this consulting thing, like it's really not all it's cracked up to be. Right. So we kind of got a taste of that when we talked to them and we're like, Oh, you're working really long hours. It's (laughs) brutal. Like maybe we should look at something different. Mm -hmm. So we, so we took that kind of that prototype and, Oh yeah. Back to the reason why he was like the business person. It was literally because we were, um, I had, I kind of identified education technology as kind of a trend at the time, which is like the complete wrong way to think about entrepreneurship. Uh Um, but, uh, I, I, it was kind of like, you know, people were talking about it on Twitter and there were some big investments in it. So I was like, um, you know, maybe that's something I could do because I'm all I've done is be educated. So right. at least I'm oh, deeply intimate with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and his parent, both of his parents were PhDs and, uh, and professors. So I was like, okay, well, at least like you have that perspective from your parents. Maybe if we need to network in your parents are very well networked in the, uh, in kind of the academic community. Maybe if we need to sell this in through academics somehow, I didn't have any idea <laughs> how you would sell this thing, but it, but anyway, um, more importantly, he was really just like good person to partner with. So yep. So we take and someone prototype. had to sell it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we take this prototype and we go out to Silicon Valley and we apply to um, Imagine K twelve, which is now part of Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. Um, and Imagine K twelve was interesting because they specifically focused on funding education technology. Okay. And so same format as YC, um, but they uh, so for for the listeners that aren't familiar, it's a three month program. They give you uh, at that time we got seventeen thousand dollars, which is not a lot of money to start a company, right. mm-hmm. um, but uh, it was enough for us coming straight out of college and having you know very low expenses. And we. Um, and, and then at the end, you, you have a demo day where they bring some investors and you're able to, um, and you're able to, you know, pitch your product, show the traction that you've gotten over the last three months right. and then uh, hopefully raise more money. Right. So we go through this program, we pivot three or four times <laughs> in, in, uh, you know, in as many months, um, I'm coding like a whole new application every week, learning a ton, right. but really, I mean, we didn't make a single dime. And Was it just the two of you? At just that? the two of okay. us. Um, and, and we're, and we're, we're, we're running out of money. Right. Um, and nobody wants to fund this because we have no users and our apps are broken. It, it makes no sense. It's the sales guy's fault, obviously, because <laughs> yeah, you so, built it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it, was, it, was <laughs> it was flawless. I mean, we, we did have moments where we were like, well, we don't have anything to sell. So, uh, David, you're going to read this book on C <laughs> or you're going to learn how to program. <laughs> Code too. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I think that, I think that wound up helping him later on mm-hmm. because he, uh, then you know had a further understanding of how these systems work. What year is this, by the way? So this is 2012. Okay. okay. So, uh, so 2012 summer, we move out to Sunnyvale. N- nothing really works with our first business, but we, when we're there, we're looking for, uh, we're looking for uh, places to live, and we uh, we go on. I want to say Padmapper. And which was like a, an app to help you search Craigslist by location. Huh. And uh, they'd actually just kind of broken their Craigslist integration somehow. So only Airbnb listings were on there. Okay. And we found one that was by another Y Combinator company. And we were like, oh, this is perfect because they're going to have like the same kind of schedule. Right. They're going to understand that we're living like really cheaply. It's not going to, they're not going to ask us to like do yard work or something. <laughs> it's like we're like staying in their ha- nice house. Right. right. Um, so we move into this house and 
we do the program for there. They're building this wireless networking company. Um, and they're four Georgia Tech engineers, um, very different uh, business, um, but similar schedule, similar kind of stage of life. You know, let's take this entrepreneurial chance. And out of those six people, that became the Soylent founding team. Because oh, both really? of those ideas actually okay. wound up uh, failing. Neither, neither team raised any money after Demo Day. And then it became this discussion of like, okay, well, you know, we don't have anything. Um, no VC is going to fund this because one was a broken education technology app that was changing every week and didn't make any sense. And the other one was a very, very capital intensive, uh -huh. intensive new wireless network. Basically, the pitch was like, let's go put up cell phone towers everywhere. So, you know, you're talking about millions right, of dollars. Right. These are guys straight out of college. It, it, it didn't make a lot of so investments. Did you guys hit it off immediately from just a chemistry perspective or? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, we, we pulled up in our, uh, in our 1992 Ford Bronco or something like that, <laughs> or Chevy Blazer. That was it. And we go inside, we meet, we meet with them and they're like, okay, yeah, it's like, uh, we have one room. You guys can both live there. It'll be like a thousand dollars a month or something. Right. We're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. They're like, so when can we move? Move in We're like now. So we went to our car and we got out our mattress and our box of books and we moved in. You were like, I, I was hoping you were going to say that because exactly. we were just going to squat. Yeah, yeah. No, we Otherwise, did. we're sleeping in the blazer. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. Oh wow. We didn't actually spend any nights in the car, but uh, it was close. So when did you guys all decide to wrap up your previous ventures and start yeah. something else? So, that, so that's the interesting thing. There wasn't really this like hard and fast line of like this has failed. This the next thing will start because. The, the pivots became kind of fluid towards the end. And, and certain members of the team would, you know, there were, there were two members who hadn't finished graduating from college mm -hmm. and kind of went out to YC for the summer and were thinking like, okay, if it really takes off, I'll drop out. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't, I'll go back to school. Right. So it didn't. So they went back to school. Okay. And then there were just a few of us. Right. And so still four of you. Yeah, you and yeah, David yeah, and the two Georgia Tech guys. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so we started just like, building all sorts of new projects. Like we built like a t-shirt website. We built uh, an app that would kind of manage social media because we were like, okay, well, if we do build something, how would we promote that? Right. Well, maybe we should build some like social media automation tool. Um, and uh, like Rob was building um, uh, a virtual desktop uh, system where you could log in and use like a faster computer right. essentially. And nothing was really working. Um, and the money's kind of like dwindling down. So we're just like, okay, well, you know, if we really like what we're doing, like this lifestyle, although it's like kind of embarrassing, <laughs> our parents aren't exactly proud of it. Um, you know, we're living in, at that point we moved to a, uh, was technically a one bedroom apartment in San Francisco because one of the other bedrooms didn't have a window. So it was yeah. a closet. The glorified yeah. closet. Right. But it was only $1,500 a month. Right. Oh, nice. For three people in San Francisco. It was yep. incredibly cheap. It was in the Tenderloin. Yep. Um, so we, uh, so we're, so we're like, you know, we're like, nothing's working, but we're getting way better at programming. Like mm -hmm. by this time I'd, I'd actually, so it's you, David, yeah, and, yeah. And so, Rob? so living in the, living in the house in San Francisco, David actually, uh, broke off and went to, uh, to do a PhD program at Caltech. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. Um, because so, you know, nothing was working. Right. He was like, okay, well, like I should go back to like kind of the academic track. Right. Got a great opportunity at the, basically the best biotech uh, PhD program in the country. Um, so he goes and starts taking um, like, you know, classes to kind of prepare for that. It's me, Rob and Matt, two of the Georgia Tech guys. And Got me, it. Living in San Francisco, um, just building, you know, 
apps, basically, software. Um, and at this point, we're getting pretty good. I remember uh, Matt specifically, he's a civil engineer by background, did, really didn't do any coding on the, on the other projects. And one day, I just opened up the app, and I was like, oh, like, all this looks really good. And he had just figured out like front end coding like really huh. well. Um, and Rob was obviously doing a whole bunch of like really complicated back end stuff. And I was experimenting with machine learning at the time, which was which was kind of becoming a trend. And like learning a lot of stuff about this, but you know we weren't at the stage of like being able to make a product that would get traction. But we were like, if we just keep doing this, maybe eventually something will just take, right. and then we'll be able to grow from there. Um, so really, the game is like let's not die. And this mm -hmm. is something that they taught us at Y Combinator was you know like just don't spend the money and then you'll be in business because that's <laughs> that's like the definition of so being what in business. business was generating any revenue to even pay the fifteen hundred in rent. So there's no revenue coming in. Basically, right. so David and I's company had $17,000. Yeah. We ran out of that in yeah. three, three months. So how'd you right? pay rent? The other company was in YC and had $170,000. Okay. So they had a little bit more and had been very, very good about not spending it. Had basically spent it on nothing but food and rent, and that's basically it. Right. Uh, we, we just weren't, we weren't going out. We weren't doing anything. I was going to ask you guys, were you guys doing anything I mean, outside of coding? Out, just hanging on the tenderloin. <laughs> I mean, this is a in, bunch of college guys, um, and... Like there were months when we wouldn't have a single beer, like yeah. no alcohol, just right. because we'd be like, "There's nothing in the budget for that." It just right. doesn't make sense. And um, and we, yeah, I mean, we would just like eat like ramen and corn say. dogs, and you can kind of see where this is going, yeah, right. right? You know. And then we, when we moved to San Francisco, we didn't have a car because there's no parking anywhere, right? So very hard to get to Costco and buy ramen in bulk, right? We couldn't get things even <laughs> delivered online because like our like it would just get stolen off the front porch. Right. And, uh, and so we started thinking about like, okay, well, how can we, um, how can we, you know, reduce this cost? Right. So Rob, who'd been, you know, I, I think a little bit talking to David about biology, since that's David's background, Rob's a computer scientist by, by background, um, had kind of started reading more about biology and really thinking about the human body from a computer science perspective. And the way you think about things in computer science is, you know, input and output functions. You know, I, I write a function that takes a number and it multiplies it and you get this output. And the human body functions kind of the same way in the sense that you take certain ingredients, you put them into your body, and you produce energy. And that's mm -hmm. calories. Um, and we can measure that. And there are certain ingredients that your body needs for certain functions. And if you kind of break all that down, you, you come to a recommendation for what you know, what products and what ingredients you should be consuming. And that's how the FDA comes up with the nutrition facts panel right. and the recommended daily values. Mm -hmm. And the FDA actually partners with the Institute of Medicine and a number of other academic research groups to aggregate all of the research on zinc or copper or vitamin A or protein. And that's where that recommendation comes from. So there's actually a lot of interesting science there. And for Rob, you know, and I mean all of us, but especially Rob, you know, he's a he's you know extremely interested in just reading scientific papers and getting to the bottom of like the hard science, and so so Soylent was kind of a, a way to experiment with the the science of human nutrition firsthand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's you know it's completely to run a clinical study or something on a new product is extremely expensive you have to right. hire all these people and have oversight but to run something on yourself is free right <laughs> so uh so, when did that leap actually happen yeah. from yeah, coding yeah. to sure. almost biohacking i sure. guess so so it was pretty pretty quickly so 
uh, we so summer of 2012, we're we're in our respective uh, Y Combinator programs. Um, nothing's really working. Then there's kind of a, a real like trough of sorrow, which was actually pretty fun because we were building new things basically every day, and that was in the fall mm-hmm. winter. Uh, then we go home for for winter break, visit our families, come back to San Francisco. Now that's in January, and Rob starts experimenting with Soylent. Uh, he posted the first blog post, kind of talking about his idea on, uh, I think, Valentine's Day, so February 14th. Okay. And uh, so it was pretty quickly, but it still took some time for us to really, uh, you know, like mothball all the other projects that we were working on. Yeah. Um, But it was pretty quick because as soon as that blog post went out, it got a lot of attention from the online kind of tech community, which is where we'd been posting everything else. Right. But the tech community was inundated with, oh, there's a new application for right. this. There's a new app for that, which is what we had been doing. Right. But they, they had nothing around food or, or health or nutrition. Was there a reason why you guys decided to post on that type of platform versus like a wellness platform? Or Yeah. So, I mean, I think... Those are your people. Yeah, those are our people. Yeah. Yeah, it was just extremely natural that that's where we'd want feedback from. And, right. And that's where... We, we would post things. So Rob had actually written other posts about, um, you know, different kind of programming concepts and um, different analyses. And we'd all kind of blogged and written. And it was just kind of a, a natural thing in the tech community to when you write something posted on Hacker News, which mm-hmm. is Y Combinator's forum. Right. And uh, so that was just kind of the natural uh, way to share. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Place to share that. Yeah. And and then from there, it, you know, there were a lot of comments and a lot of people uh, you know, asking questions and it, and it became kind of an interesting thing. And then, uh, most importantly, Rob had been so, so dedicated to this that he actually lived on the initial formula for Soylent for an entire month straight. Oh, wow. With nothing else. Wait, was at this point when he was posting, was it called Soylent or was it just an idea at that point or? Uh, that's a good question. I think he had the name by the time he wrote the, okay. Uh, by the time he wrote the blog post, but I remember we were we were meeting with a friend and uh, and kind of going to cook some dinner, and he was like, "No, I'm not going to have dinner." And <laughs> and, uh, and Matt was like, "Oh, you haven't heard like what Rob's doing?" And I was like, "Oh no, like I've just been coding the last right, like, week." And right. I thought he was doing the same thing. He's like, "No, he's on this like liquid diet." And I was like, "Why are you on a liquid diet? Like, we, it doesn't matter what we look like. Like, it matters how <laughs> good our coat is." Yeah. Right. And he was like, "No, like we, we don't, don't go anywhere, anyways. We're yeah. just sitting in this box. It's, it's, it's pretty it's, much it's super dark here. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, pretty much. But we, uh, but yeah, I mean, then he started talking about like, well, you know, if you're healthy, you'll actually be, you know, more you know, capable of writing better software, and right. you know, also we'll be saving money and time, and it made a lot of sense, like um, that, you know, you'd actually be more productive, and this is." Obvious. Was he just cobbling ingredients together on his own to make the first one? And yeah, so he had a spreadsheet um, where he kind of looked at you know every single um, every single nutrient that the body needs. So that's right. everything that you're that's all of your macro ingredients and then your micronutrients, um, all your vitamins and minerals. And then he looked at okay, how would I get each one of those? So he worked backwards, basically. Basically, right. yeah, and it becomes kind of this 
uh, this like convex optimization problem where you're you're iterating over the variety of ingredients until you find something that's you know efficient and and, and then there are other parameters that you put in there like price and and calories and you try right. and get to something and oh that's interesting yeah. so he would actually put that in as well into yeah. this okay yeah exactly and then and then order like very large bags of the stuff uh, on Amazon or on Alibaba they would arrive and then he'd mix it together yeah. oh, he was doing it. this himself he yeah. wasn't working with like a food scientist nothing we didn't okay. even we we there was no concept of that. Like we didn't know that their formulation houses or flavor houses. Right. Like, we didn't <laughs> right. know that they're like it, we were so naive to this business right. because we Just only knew about software. Yeah. yeah. So the. Uh, so yeah, he would he would mix it up. I don't even know. If, I think he would just stir it. Yeah, <laughs> there, no, you're there like there was no blenders. blenders. <laughs> yeah, there was no blender for a while. We eventually got blenders. Um, so were you? But, yeah. Did you start taking these shakes at the time? Which is this is just Rob's thing. So at this is pretty much just Rob's thing. Yeah, and and I'm kind of confused by it. But then I remember we were at this dinner and he, and he was like, "No, I'm not going to have anything here." Right. And I was like, "Why? Like this food's free. Not only um, that, you should eat more of it. And exactly. pour it. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, and box but, it up. But yeah. he was like, "No, like I'm." I'm really like, I'm doing this experiment. And I was like, wow, okay. And I was like, do you have a name for it? And he was like, I'm calling it Soylent. And I immediately got the reference and I was like, we should sell this. And I just immediately was like, okay, this is a product now. Because, but before that, it was just like, it was this wacky experiment. But as soon as he had that brand, I, I just, I got it. It all kind of clicked in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is like really, really, this is, this is really cool and really interesting. And I, I could see other people doing this and then I, I don't know. But I did you see it. more? So when you saw the brand or in your mind, at least, yeah. um, did you have like an, an idea of what the tribe for that brand would be? Would it be sort of more people like you? Would it be? Yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely like us, you know, just like, like people that were aware of science fiction and uh-huh. that was, you know, within the tech community, very popular. And, um, and I, yeah, I just really liked that, that idea of, of, injecting this ironic joke into something as kind of sacrosanct as food, you know, and it's just something that I'd never heard, heard of being done before. Right. Um, embedding like what is essentially a cannibalism joke into the core idea of a food product. Um, so that was very, that was very funny and and like just controversial to me. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I thought that was very exciting. And, um, and then, and then, yeah, we, so we started trying it more broadly and, and there was a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a ritual around kind of like everyone has to go through the experience of actually making it from scratch because like okay. th- that was kind of important to, to really understand the process that went into this to really kind of like build your own formula and think about how that would, how you would kind of express yourself in that way. Um, and then we started all kind of slowly working together on a single formula that could really be like the, the Soylent formula. So it was, it was, did it end up being sort of a, a group effort into in coming up with sort of the final final or was yeah, it? Yeah, okay. d- yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, the, the final final is, uh, is, you know, multi-year story yeah. because mm-hmm. the, the company was built on these software development principles of iteration. Right. So the, the idea that, that. Uh, you know, 1.0 was it, a it can launch, always get better, but yeah. we but we very quickly, I think, a month later, launched 1.1, 1. 1. Mm-hmm. So and then launched 1.2. So what was the timing at, at this point? Sure, sure. So we're talking about um, February of 2013 okay. at this point, and then and was David back in the mix? At so, this point? so so Rob went to David and you know started uh, talking to him about. Um, you know, like what, like how he could help, how he could be involved. Um, and we, uh, but we were still kind of like, okay, we don't really know where this is going. More importantly, 
the press started picking up on this story of this crazy guy in Silicon Valley who had lived on this weird <laughs> thing for 30 days straight. And the, the, the hook for this was how I, how, I li- how I stopped eating food right. for 30 days, which is very sensational and, right. very, um, and very kind of thought-provoking and also very offensive to a lot of people. Were you guys – were you working with a PR agency or was this completely organic? How did organic? find out about this guy? Yeah. Um, so because the posts were getting traction and there were actually a series of posts, uh-huh. um, uh, announcing like the formula and sharing more details and sharing blood work and kind of all the different data that Rob had collected and analyzed, um, because those posts were performing well on hacker news, I think then press started reading about reading. it and thinking yeah. that they wanted to, to write. Was we it, certainly didn't have a PR agency. You didn't. Okay. We didn't have strong, we didn't have any outstanding relationships right. with reporters. It was more, they were, they were coming inbound and then, and then it just kind of naturally rose up the chain. So from business insider, right. It went to vice and, Got then, it. and then it went to like an interview and then it went to like the BBC and uh-huh. then it just kept going because it was such a, interesting story about you know the like somebody developing a food product for essentially like all the wrong reasons in in traditional sense right and it was was turning it on its head for sure yeah turning it on its head is definitely the right thing so so the so the next few months we're really thinking about how to um just how to satisfy the demand we weren't even really thinking about it as you know a business or thinking you know, we, we were kind of actively part of this entrepreneurial community and running this business, but we weren't really, we were more thinking about just like, wow, people want this and that's awesome. Let's help them get it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Rob made some like of the first batches and delivered them by hand. Right. And, and (laughs) yeah. And like, was there, was there a package like, or was this like, like a nondescript yeah, random. I mean, sometimes it would just be a Ziploc bag, Ziploc bag. and yeah. then we and then we in did powder it. format. Or? Yeah, this is all that powder. doesn't look suspicious yeah. at all. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> and flying with it was yeah, very exactly. questionable. And uh, and then from there we you know started setting up kind of like a beta testing facility with a few friends to um, to, to you know to do smaller like a like a beta program. Right, and we scaled that to you know like a few hundred people. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 then we learned more about like the packaging and the various like you know, the, 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 we'd be able to test like the flavors and the, and the different ingredients and get a feel for, um, how people were, um, consuming it. And that's kind of where we came up with the idea to, you know, that this should be like a subscription product. This should right. be kind of like a fast moving consumer good. So how are you getting feedback? Cause it sounds like yeah, yeah. you kept improving as continuous yeah, yeah. improvement. Yeah. So one of the first things that Rob did, I mean, he was getting a ton of emails because mm-hmm. on the website, it was basically just his email and, <laughs> uh, and then he put up a feedback form uh-huh. and the feedback form was extremely long and very, very interesting in the sense of like, it was the way it gauged a potential customer's interest in the product was, um, very deep. Like we, we, we asked questions like, you know, would you participate in, um, getting your blood work done and right. sending us the results or would you share like your 23 and me data? It's, it, data so it's with us? pretty invasive if yeah. you want, you got to opt in to, yeah, to really yeah. do it. I mean, we, we, we never, we never went that route and mm-hmm. never needed that data from just from massive customers. But right. the fact that, that customers were willing to 
give that to us and wanted to be on the journey that much and wanted to help make a better product mm-hmm. really told us a lot about the dedication. And th- this was just night and day from anything that we'd done previously. So we'd put up a website that was just collecting emails, terribly designed, no marketing or branding whatsoever. And we'd get 10,000 e- emails just organically. Wow. And then we'd put up a survey and 10,000 people would respond to it. Wow. And right. So wow. it was just like, okay, this is really, really a thing. Right. So then we started thinking about how to um, how to really take this to market. And, you know, we didn't have, uh, you know, enough money to really go and produce it anywhere. So we knew that we wanted to gauge, you know, the level of interest and the level of like real interest. So that's where Kickstarter, uh, kind of came to mind. So we started trying to go on Kickstarter, but at the time Kickstarter didn't allow any food products right. on the platform. Um, they've since changed this and there's actually been spin-off Soylent products. On, <laughs> like somebody launched, I'm making Soylent brownies on, on Kickstarter. And we are like, how are they making Soylent brownies when they're just like, when we couldn't go on there. Right. Um, but we wound up partnering with this, this other startup, uh, who was building kind of a crowdfunding platform at the time. They really helped us out and, uh, put together this crowdfunding platform. And we were agonizing over how much to, how much to raise because if, if we, if we put it at, you know, $10,000 and only $9,000 shows up, story's over. And it's like, we have this thing and it feels like this could be something and we don't want to go back to just the drawing board. Right. right. We finally have this thing. Can't and, keep up the momentum. Yeah. And Rob was just so optimistic because, you know, he'd been talking to all these customers and really understood. And I think it, for me, you know, I'm just a little bit more conservative in mm-hmm. general. I was, I was hesitant. Um, but we wound up setting it at, at $100,000, which, okay. which is a lot for, yeah. for a crowdfunding campaign. And we wound up hitting that in an hour. Oh, wow. I think, yeah, I think it was like an hour. Was that, that, was that, I mean, you guys are agonizing over it. So was that a bit of a surprise that it was going to, that it was that successful? Yeah, definitely. Definitely a surprise to me. I mean, I think now that I've talked to a lot of companies and I understand just kind of benchmarks for, you know, email open rates and, and conversion metrics, like I could have backed into that now, but not many people ask for blood tests and things like that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But like if a, if a company came to me with the same data, I would be able to extrapolate much stronger, but we had no data points. We had no idea. So, um, and then we went on to raise $800,000 in a month and I think 3 million over the year on the same platform, on the same platform, which I think is still the largest food crowdfunding project. It's almost 4 million in total. Uh, no, no th- three oh, million in total, total like three orders. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And then that really helped us get validation of the market, which helped us raise a seed round. Mm-hmm. Um, so some angels from Y Combinator from that network came in and then Andreessen Horowitz put in a million dollars, um, and, and helped us kind of like, uh, close out that round so that we weren't spending the, uh, that the, those pre-order dollars on, you know, salaries. And right. So at this point you're still, people are pre or is product being shipped at all? I mean, very, very limited quantities yeah. of a beta pro beta product. We're right. talking about like a hundred people, yep. um, that are really just testers. Um, but you know, we know that for the, for the, for the first run at this point, we've, you know, we've networked with, um, people who are more, you know, versed in the space. Right. So David had a connection to, he, at this point, he's kind of our, you know, he wasn't full time yet, but he was kind of like uh, business development, kind of helping us with just kind of being that business person and, and networking. So he'd met the, uh, this former CEO of muscle milk, okay. who was acutely aware of what it takes to manufacture a powder. Mm-hmm. And he had introduced us to some people and we kind of understood that, um, you know, we would need this large, like the idea of a minimum order quantity and 
and you know a need to have a set amount of money to go to a manufacturer and get the first run done. Right. And so he, uh, so we now that we had this money, you know, we we wanted to go to go to you know a, get it to scale. Yeah, get to it to man- scale. To exactly. be able to manufacture it. Yeah, and really make sure that we were following good manufacturing practices, right. having an FDA, USDA. So this way, facility. Rob's not stirring it. Anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 And yeah, and then the demand, you know, we were talking about, I think, tens of thousands of people. So, um, you know, we, we, we couldn't scale up that facility. What's Matt doing sense. at this point? So Matt is, is, is actually running our operations group. Okay. So, he's, so he's really focused on the manufacturing. David basically put him in touch. And, you know, at, at the early stages, everyone's kind of doing everything. Yeah. Right? And there's a lot of, like, decision by committee and whatnot. But uh, I think the real focus is Rob focusing with PR because just bigger and bigger outlets would come every week. Right. And so he was doing a great job of that as well as fundraising. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, the formula. Like right. he was really, really deep in and really had some convictions about uh, about the formula that was really beneficial. Mm-hmm. And then uh, David was kind of exploring different sales channels as well as business development, thinking about how we would, and then just kind of filling in on formulation and manufacturing. And then uh, I was doing all like the website stuff, anything that required like data or analytics. So everything from like a Accounting to our actual e-commerce site, yep. and then uh, Matt was really focused on operations. Was there anyone who was more sort of brand focused or thinking about sort of what was this going to all look like and yeah. what emotion it was supposed to evoke and all that stuff? I mean, so now I've worked with great agencies and mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the process, and we did not follow any of that, <laughs> and that kind of worked to our advantage uh-huh. because we we had this like you know techy, scrappy, anti-brand um, that now companies like Brandless are right. like trying to kind of bake in a little bit. Right. I think Red Antler's done a little bit of this with kind of minimalizing right. or minimizing some of, the, uh, some of the brand traits so it feels a little bit less in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were just doing that because we, we came from like the Y Combinator school of, of like thought is focus on your product, focus on your product. Right. And we didn't think of a brand as part of the product. It, it of course is, but we were really thinking of, let's just make the best formula possible. Let's just make the best product possible. Let's make it cheap. Let's right. make it healthy and convenient. And let's, let's make a great customer experience, which in itself is a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we did work with like a, uh, uh, an artist in New York to get a logo done and we did a brand book eventually. Um, but, uh, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty light, but you're in, so you're in 2014 now at this point, right? So yeah, After this you is, raise, so, so this is, seed round? yes, yeah, so we raise our seed round towards the end of 2013 and we're going into manufacturing in 2014. Yep. So we shipped the first package, um, I think May 1st of 2014. Okay. And we were very, very fortunate to be able to time that up just luckily with, uh, a, a New Yorker story that was actually on the cover, which was insane like you can't you can't buy those stories like there's no pr firm that can just put you in there well at this point did you have a pr firm or still no still no that's impressive yeah people reach out to rob yeah Yeah. people reach out to rob and i mean rob is just he's a very very interesting person to talk to Mm -hmm. and he just he's incredibly just interested and there's a great quote about like if you want to be interesting be interested Mm -hmm. and he will just 
he'll just research and research on any topic. So that's just like a reporter's dream. Right. And there's just no filter. Right. Like there were reporters that would spend whole weeks with us. Like, <laughs> there were, the New Yorker reporter literally went to the gym with us at one point. Oh, wow. Just to like kind of understand our, our, our routines. Right. Yeah. Um, she also came to uh, what we what we called at the time a journal club mm-hmm. where we would have uh, PhDs that were our friends and a few that became our business partners in the future. Um, we would have them come and everyone would read uh, nature and pick an article and do their best to understand it and then come and kind of summarize it and then ask questions and everyone would kind of like share. And sometimes the conversation would go into like the, you know, like the, the business implications of it. Um, but a lot of times we would just kind of just drill the PhDs for <laughs> to explain to us what's going on right. Right. with like topics like CRISPR, which are now very popular in gene editing and whatnot. Um, so yeah, um, that, I think that authenticity and that transparency really was refreshing to these reporters. So Rob did a great job of that. And, and that piece really launched with us mm-hmm. as like, now it's available sh- to ship. Right. And so we'd put up at that point, we'd launched a, a website that could take uh, kind of orders that didn't look like pre-orders anymore. They were sometimes delayed still because of manufacturing constraints, but for the most part, they were, um, uh, for the most part, you know, we would try and ship them as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And then we'd also allow people to subscribe, right. which was really important to the business and revenue uh, projections as well as... Um, as well as just giving the customers, uh, you know, even an even more convenient way to kind of optimize or streamline their diets. Um, so, and then once the New Yorker piece launched, then Stephen Colbert called and wanted to have Robin the Colbert report, which is, right. you know, it's obviously he TV. said no. He's like, nah, I got bigger things to do. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was it was very yeah, it was just an amazing experience. So we all went out to New York and and got. Um, uh, and, and, and Rob uh, did that show. And I think, I, I, I can't like absolutely confirm this, but I'm pretty sure that our, our site got so much traffic after that. that. And we were on Shopify at the time. Right. I'm pretty sure that we brought down all of Shopify for at least, <laughs> for at least like a few minutes while their team like kind of like got yeah, they resources were like, back. I'm sure they're dealing with a spike or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. But like because of the way Shopify is designed, I think yeah. everything went down. Um, which is just like, you know, one of those like crazy startup moments. And so, so how many flavors were you sort of selling? One just product, one. One skew. Uh, and I mean, that was a great decision in the sense of being able to streamline. Um, but it was also just part of the mission of, you know, what is the most convenient thing? Like right. just have one product. Right. You can consume this. and All the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also we weren't we weren't trying to create something that was like this insane flavor. We were very interested in, um, in creating something that you could have every day and never get sick of. So that meant a little bit of a learning curve. And a lot of the early reviews were negative around the flavor. Um, but the people that really, you know, figured out how to work it into their life, I think got, you know, they, they, you know, that's not a flavor that they get sick of. Mm -hmm. So how did it scale up from there? Did you start building a team? Yeah. Yeah. So at that point, um, we probably had, you know, a few people in customer support. We'd actually hired our first customer support person who's a friend who kind of grew into, you know, running a lot of our marketing as well. Uh, David took over a lot of marketing. 
we were actually still kind of distributed between San Francisco and Los Angeles because David had moved down here for that PhD program. Mm -hmm. Julio, who was our first employee and, uh, what's Julio do? Uh, so, uh, he eventually became the creative director and focused on kind of brand. He ran our Instagram in some really interesting ways early on and, uh, did a lot of photography for us. So, One quick question, because yeah, yeah. you guys are so product focused. Yeah, yeah. How did you guys come to the decision that you needed a creative director? So Julio was escalated to a creative director, um, I want to say like a year or two later. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think it was just the idea that, you know, once we had product, mm-hmm. um, at, at first I thought, so at first basically our entire marketing strategy was Rob's blog mm-hmm. and he would write about his experiences on Soylent and he would do kind of other kind of interesting biohacking experiments and those would get a lot of traction right. and sometimes they would generate press articles. Um, and, but that wasn't really like a sustainable model of growth. Right. And, but from my perspective, I'd never seen brands on Instagram really. And that wasn't really a thing at the time mm-hmm. uh, because we're still talking about like 2013, but Julio, you know, had, he's a photographer by kind of training and studied art. And, um, he, you know, he was like, no, we have a physical product. Of course, this is going to be huge on Instagram. Like once we have a product to shoot, uh, we didn't have a product at that time. (laughs) So that we weren't really doing anything. He was actually doing a very interesting series of these kind of striking photographs of people eating like really disgusting meals in awkward places. So you'd see somebody like eating fast food, like outside of their car, like smelling everything. And it kind of showed that. The, the, the whole thesis was to show that, you know, food is not always Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It's not always all your best friends and your family eating a perfectly like, right. huge meal and it's enjoyable and it's wine and song and all yeah. this other stuff. So, you know, sometimes there are just those meals that are terrible and like, let's get rid of those. Mm-hmm. So I think he did a really good job with having no product still. I mean, we got like press articles about just our Instagram because oh, wow. it was like so different than right. what was happening. So, so, um, yeah, and then once once we evolved and started generating more content for you know all the social platforms, it made really it made sense to have somebody with a really great artistic eye, right. you know, overseeing all of that. Um, but yeah, so then uh, post post Colbert, you know, we have a flood of of subscriptions now, and that gives us great kind of revenue clarity. We can you know really reliably scale up our manufacturing, and that's when we raise our Series A. So um, we so. Uh, Andreessen had led the seed, so it was a very logical right. process to to do the Series A, and we wound up raising twenty million dollars mm-hmm. from Andreessen, and uh, and and got a few other great partners in, um, and and then we started really thinking about how we how we we're going to build out the company. So uh, we got an office in downtown LA. We hired, um, you know, started hiring people, you know, at, at pay grades above like customer service, and um, and started really thinking about uh, our two point mm-hmm. which was going to be a ready to drink product. Um, which had been in our mind for a while since convenience was so important. Um, the idea of removing the mixing step would, you know, save people, you know, minutes, which was important, um, from, you know, our kind of brand promise. Yeah. So we started working on that. We, we, but we recognized that, uh, the investment in a ready to drink product was not going to be minimal. And right. also the, you know, aseptic lines are very hard to come by right. and, uh, it was going to take a lot of just initial order. Um, but that wound up working extremely well. And when we, uh, when we wound up scaling up, we were, you know, I think there's always a little bit of anxiety about 
how you changing a format. Yeah. Changing a format and just offering like, is it going to be, can, is it going to cannibalize mm-hmm. a lot, but it wound up expanding, you know, and we wound up doing really well off of that, which was, uh, which was very, yeah. Just what time period is this? At the, so this we juncture? launched the, so we launched the ready to drink product, I think in 2015 now. Okay. So it, basically every year is like a new, a new, you know, story arc. We, we, we go from, we go from pre-orders, we go from basically suffering yeah. <laughs> and getting nothing in 2012 to right. pre-orders in 2013 uh-huh. to shipping powder in 2014 right. to shipping ready to drink in 2015. And then eventually, um, line extensions and flavor extensions mm-hmm. in the form of our coffeeest product, which is, uh, a caffeinated line and then, uh, other, uh, other, uh, flavors mm-hmm. in, um, in, uh, chocolate and uh, cacao and a few others. So what were the dynamics at the point where you're releasing the ready to drink? Did, 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 did yeah. everybody have a more defined role at that point yeah, between definitely. the co-founders? Yeah. Yeah. So everyone had, um, essentially a, a, you know, a division under them. Rob was running product. Um, and, uh, as well as being CEO and still doing all so the he, So he, he was, he was the, he'd be the CEO, he's, but he's, he's the ultimate CEO, to, okay. but he's also head of product okay. and, uh, and oversees a team there. And, uh, I mean, I think that was a really great pattern because, um, you know, he, he had the strongest opinions and it makes sense that you need someone with that product focus in that role. So that, I think that was a really great fit. Uh, so David's running marketing, Matt's running operations, supply chain, and I'm running technology. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, I think it, it you know, at various points, you're, we're talking about five to 10 employees per division. Right. Um, and the company grows over the course of series A from maybe, uh, you know, 10 people to 35, 40. It's, yeah, it's really tricky, especially for, um, I think the, it's, it's almost harder for just the company as a whole, as opposed to the actual founders, because the founders are, they're always going to be founders, which is the kind of the special title. Right. Right. Whereas whereas if you're, you know, the first employee, right. And then all of a sudden you're, you're not reporting to the founder because there's somebody in between you and they want things done, you know, a little bit more professionally, it really can change your quality of life. So Mm -hmm. I think handling that in a humane and empathetic way is really important. This was a time when essentially, yeah, all, all four of the co-founders were on the board of the company. So it really just became like, let's think about this as a board and let's think about this as shareholders and let's use the right tool for the job to achieve this mission. So, you know, we have this mission at Soylent of, you know, improving access to healthy, quality nutrition affordably. Mm-hmm. And what's the best way to do that? Well, it's to scale up operations and provide more value to the customer and have a uh, you know, a clear and more communicative brand and, you know, execute and not waste money on projects that don't go anywhere. Um, so what's the best way to do that? Well, you know, partnering with really experienced people is a big part of that. So I think there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty from a, from a personal professional trajectory, but in terms of understanding what's best for the company, I think we were all pretty aligned that we were, you know, excited that this was going to make our thing stronger. That, you know, Solan is now executing in retail in mm-hmm. a way that the founders, the four founders who come from Silicon Valley have no sales experience, like are, it could never have achieved. And everything about consumer packaged goods is availability and especially with a convenience product like Soylent, like being ubiquitous is so important. And that was something that we were really, really aligned around was let's, let's get everywhere because just the fact that we couldn't get it in airports was frustrating to us. And we were like, there's no amount of 
web technology or innovation <laughs> that we can do to like just make it get through TSA. Like right. That's not a thing that can happen. But if we get a great salesperson and a great organization that knows how to sell into these organizations, and now it's available at LaGuardia. Right. So like I, I see the way that they've uh, – and the way that the, the, this new executive team has kind of executed as being like just phenomenal in terms of filling the gaps that we never could and building on the foundation that we built. Like the brand really hasn't, you know, it's evolved only in positive ways. So I'm, I'm, I've been super happy. Right after the break, we'll talk more with our guest, Soylent co-founder and former CTO, John Coogan. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can catch up on all of our episodes at unfinishedbiz.com and chat with us on Twitter at unfin underscore biz. Subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or any podcast app of your choice. If you like the show, leave us a review. We love five stars. And now back to our episode with Soylent co-founder John Coogan. What's next for you as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I'm actually starting another company um, with uh, David... uh Co-founder of Soylent and first business partner. Uh-huh. Back to the education in, in business. Preschool. No, right. definitely not education. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely not. Definitely not education. Um, yeah, I mean, we're taking a lot of our learnings from consumer packaged goods and trying to apply them to new categories that are, uh, you know, still kind of health focused. Okay. Um, but I really like the. There are a few kind of trends. So I, I can't actually announce the product that we're working on yet. Mm-hmm. Or, but, but it's a product. Is it yeah, like a tangible? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very much similar. Okay. Uh, a consumable product. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, the, yeah, I mean, some of the kind of like the, the trends that I like are kind of anti-trends, like in terms of Soylent, like the competitor, I guess would be like an insure, Mm -hmm. which is like a medical product. It's a product that people use in, in hospitals. It's not a brand. Right. Um, and so the, the entire category was kind of like dead. We didn't even know that the category existed. Um, Versus, you know, figuring out like, okay, like this, this ingredient is on trend and uh, let me make it like organic and this and that and combined like a whole spreadsheet of, of trends together to create this like, you know, thing that came out directly of a boardroom. Um, so I think that, yeah, we're kind of trying to take that similar approach of, of, okay, what problem can we solve that we ourselves have, but is actually being underserved by the market right now. And there are no established brands and there, there, there is no real like competition. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of like where, how we're thinking about that. Well, there's no doubt that Soylent's part of pop culture at this point. I mean, they're in the Colbert Report. They're the what? Co- <laughs> cover of the New Yorker, opening credits of Silicon Valley. I mean, that's not too shabby. It's interesting that they were able to do all of that when their company culture and structure were changing so much. I mean, speaking of changing, I mean, I think one of the most interesting things about it is that they had the self-awareness to step back as a founding group. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, they're, they're really tech entrepreneurs that stumbled into a CPG brand. And but they were smart enough to be able to recognize that and bring in some very traditional CPG talent to take the company into this next phase. Mm-hmm. For example, this Walmart test, that's that's big time for oh, them. Yeah. It really proves and is it gonna be a niche Silicon Valley brand or is it something that go for the masses? Mm-hmm. But related to that, I mean, John has a little more time on his hands to pursue some of these hobbies now that he's taking a step back, and you'll hear more from him. Other than starting other entrepreneurial ventures. What do you do for fun? Oh yeah. So, um, there's a few things I getting married. I'm getting married in a month, uh, which I'm very excited about. I also have a 160 pound Newfoundland dog. Oh, nice. Uh, huh? who's, who's very fun to walk and hang out with powered by Soylent. 
uh, <laughs> the, the, the pet the, lines the coming dog, up. Yeah, the dog equivalent. Uh, and we guessed the new business. Yeah, right yeah. there. Yeah, there Done. Go. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to think of what else. I play competitive video games a lot. And I'm, I'm very much into uh, into kind of that scene. Uh, what what game do you compete with? Uh, well, I used to play Counter Strike a lot, mm-hmm. and then now it's a lot of player unknown battlegrounds or Fortnite is kind of like the more popular version. Um, and and then I also really like uh, creating kind of 3D animations in a program called Cinema 4D. That's pretty fun. It's like what they use for visual effects in movies, but uh-huh. it can be used for kind of all sorts of stuff. So um, I like to use that for a lot of like just creating like brand assets, but it's also just kind of a hobby of mine. Um, I think that's yeah, that's probably pretty much it. I scuba dive a lot. Damn, you're you're an interesting guy. I man. know. That's a, that's all I gotta say, man. Yeah. I, I want to be you. <laughs> Thank you. I want to be you. <laughs> All right, John Coogan, you ready for our signature game? Rapid fire, 60 seconds. Yeah, I'm ready. Ready to go? All right. The first thing you read every day is? Twitter. What's your favorite movie? Pacific Rim. Karaoke song you're most likely to belt out? Uh, hip to be square. Your hometown is famous for? The Rose Bowl. What's your guilty pleasure? Video games. First car you ever drove? Ford Explorer. Runner-up name for your business that didn't make the cut? Uh, People Chow, I think, or something. (laughs) Bachelor Chow. (laughs) Do you recline on airplanes? Uh, Yes, and I upgrade to extra legroom because I'm 6'8". Yeah. If you could drink one thing for the rest of your life besides water, what do you choose? There you go. What was your last New Year's resolution? Uh, I had like 12, um, but, uh, it was, I did a book a week. I oh, wow. rode my bike a bunch, went to the gym a lot. If you were stranded on an Island, you could only bring one thing. What would it be? A phone. Last hashtag you used. Hashtag VMG symposium. Nice. Oh, nice. Where's the next place you'd like to travel? Uh, Australia. If a movie was made of your life, you'd be played by someone tall. <laughs> Maybe the guy from Silicon Valley, the nerdy guy. <laughs> Talent you don't have, but wish you did. Uh, I wish I was better at music. Your most hated food? Uh, mushrooms. If you could be any pro athlete, who would you be? Uh, ninja. <laughs> well, our last question. For other aspiring entrepreneurs, what advice do you have for them? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think the, the first thing is to focus on something that on just building something that people want. Um, you know, don't get caught up in, in the business model or fundraising or meeting the right people or doing any of that until you really understand that, you know, you're going to be able to, you're going to be responsible for creating something. And I think if you go into it with the mindset of the, of like, there's a gap in the market and let me figure out something, um, it's going to be a lot harder than if you're just like, I really enjoy making something tangible and i made something that's better and i love it and i use it so i'm going to share it with the world well john coogan co-founder of bachelor chow aka soylent <laughs> thanks for joining us i think that was paul graham that, that said bachelor chow or something. <laughs> that's great you've been listening to unfinished biz i'm wayne and i'm robin we'll be back on the next episode with nick green co-founder and CEO of Thrive Market, a wholesale buying club online offering organic product at 25 to 50% off through a membership model, which also sponsors a membership for someone who can't afford it. But as Nick learned, even the best ideas also need the best technology under the hood, or there's no actual product. So it's a total roller coaster, like failing to 
uh, failing to uh, to build the, to build the tech platform, wasting hundreds of thousands of dollars of our own money, failing to fundraise. Um, you know, as the as a as a co-founder, you're all in on something, and every one of those things you take personally. That's next time on Unfinished Biz. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can subscribe to our show for free in any podcast app of your choice. Send us questions, comments, and feedback on Twitter at unfin underscore biz and visit us at unfinishedbiz.com.